0: Hello and welcome to the Culture File Weekly with me, Luke Clancy. Later on, we'll be hearing about the Afrofuturism of Irish Sierra Leonean composer and performer Fedder. But we're spending most of our minutes this time on a portrait of the artist as an entrepreneur with the hacker artist Ben Grosser. The last time we heard from Grosser, he'd just created Order of Magnitude, a video edit of 50 odd minutes of Mark Zuckerberg's speeches, chopped to leave in only numbers and the times the Facebook leader said the word more. He's since created a companion piece collecting Zuckerberg's lessers and both works are now part of Grosser's mini-retrospective London show, Software for Less. The exhibition has been many years of coding in the making, bringing together a kind of trade show of the artist's bizarro remakes of the online world, from his strictly limited new social network, Minus, which gives users a finite 100 posts, to tokenise this, a system for creating unique and instantly vanishing artworks that pillories the NFT boom. Ben Grosser talked to CultureFile about his journeys into the omnivorous crave and nudge mechanics of the online world.
1: One of the first critiques, of course, people make is, well, I mean, this isn't going to make any money. Like, how would you ever turn this into a business? Of course, the answer is, it's not going to make any money, and I'm not going to turn it into a business. And It's not going to grow in the ways that you expect, and that's by design. That's the whole point. What might we have for online interactive communication experience if it isn't always oriented or isn't oriented at all around those core values of money and growth and the inducement of engagement? And we'll see, right? That's the experiment. See how it plays out. My name's Ben Grosser. I'm an artist and also a professor at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And I'm currently sitting in my lab, which is called the Critical Technology Studies Lab at the National Center for Supercomputing Applications, NCSA for short. And it's certainly its most well-known previous occupant was Mark Andreessen. Uh, Mark Andreessen was a student here at the University of Illinois as an undergraduate, and he was, he's known as the creator of the first graphical web browser, which was called NCSA Mosaic, back in late 80s, early 90s. He's, of course, now known for having gone on to create Netscape, then uh, the Netscape browser. Um, That was his company, and now he's a big venture capitalist uh, and, and very influential figure in Silicon Valley ever since. You know, I was a trumpet player, and I was in the jazz band, and Miles Davis was really kind of the entry point for me into more experimental music. Music was my undergraduate major uh, music composition. As a composer, the thing that fascinated me the most was the potential of using computers to make something that I had never heard before. And computer music was kind of this difficult thing to do back then because you didn't just get a sound card with your computer and there wasn't just max MSP or some other piece of software you could just turn on and kind of twiddle. I ended up having to write code. That's That's the way I learned how to um, just to just generate samples. There are kind of these two tracks, I would say, of people who were interested in computer music at the time. Some were interested in how do we use the computer to synthesize sounds that uh, sound as close as possible to sounds we've already heard, to instruments, for example. How do I make a, a square wave that sounds as, as accurate to a clarinet as possible? <laughs> I was interested in the opposite. How do I make the loudest, ugliest, harshest, um, craziest sounds that I've never heard before? In fact, I took it as a point of pride, quite frankly, when I would have a a piece of computer music in a concert on these massive speakers in the hall, and um, it would be so loud and crazy that people would be leaving. (laughs) leaving the performance running almost and that felt great at the time. These days I'm a little bit more interested in in maybe having more of a conversation than that.
0: It feels like an area that's quite optimistic about what uh, computer technology was, was going to offer to the world. I mean, that maybe computer music was the original utopian vision of what uh, computers had to offer. It, somewhere along the way, <laughs> somewhere along the way, you began to take maybe a different view of, of what was on offer in the new world of information technology.
1: I definitely did. You know, if I were to try to pinpoint when did things start to sour, for me in terms of, oh, maybe I should be thinking about the computer, not just as a way to make, but also as a thing to critique. You know, I got on Facebook and Twitter around 2007 or 2008, and at, you know, originally it sounded and it felt um, like an exciting thing. You know, it was a way to connect, a new way to connect with friends, That those kind of first moments of social media when it seemed like a, a fun way to play and to be in connection with people you hadn't seen in a long time, or to have more connection with people. But it didn't take long for me to start to become intensely self-aware of the ways in which the technology was pushing and pulling me, the way in which the design of the interface was affecting how I felt. And I think that's the moment where I started to realize, you know, this is a this is a design feedback loop that is playing with how I feel in order to turn me into a producer for the platform. And that kind of started me down this path. I would say the platforms and the way they're designed to, to not just encourage more production and, you know, engage us more. I think the fundamental thing that they do is they normalize um, in an, like the baseline for what that, what more means, or, you know, like we're never slowing down. We're never doing less on these platforms. And if you look across the world right now and kind of like the crises that are before us, climate crisis, if you look at um, even COVID-19 and our obsession, our inability to ever think about less instead of more Our dedication to the concept of growth as the only way to keep things going is literally destroying the planet and the people on it. (laughs) And I don't think it's an accident that I look at uh, the world's largest social network with three plus billion humans on it. And... For me, the thing that's in common is this obsession with growth and and the desire for more that these platforms produce in us.
0: So you, in in the new exhibition, you have a couple of projects that very specifically try and uh, run against that narrative. And one of them is a social network where there is a finite number of posts that you can make.
1: Yeah, so the, the social network is called Minus. And... I call it a finite social network where you get 100 posts for life. You could think of it as a very kind of minimal kind of Twitter. There's one feed, and at the top is a a box where you could write something, text only, and emojis. On the submit button, it says right on the button how many posts you have remaining. So when you first log in, it says 100 posts remaining. When you write your first post and hit click, it now says 99 posts remaining. And as you keep going, that number goes down. And the only visible metric throughout the entire platform is this dwindling counter that tells everybody how many posts you have left. So it's it's a it's one visible metric, and it's a, it's one that goes down instead of up. what I'm interested in with this piece uh, is the way in which it kind of brings to the foreground for for a lot of the people who try it out that we tend to think of all of the other social media platforms as as lasting forever as being with us for our entire lives such that we're constantly curating how we are going to appear and how we appear in those spaces and so much so that we now walk around the world, many of us anyway, I think, um, seeing you know having an experience out in the physical world, but we're in the back of our mind, we're thinking about how we might report about it. We, we see our world as a as a set of future Instagram posts. I think that's a quote from Nathan Jurgensen and as we consider what we see as a future post, we're also in the back of our head thinking, well that how many, what will the metric success of that post be? When you go to Minus and all of a sudden you've only got 100 posts, what I'm seeing with a lot of people who've tried it out so far is it creates an, an immediate reluctance to do a whole lot. People feel uh, that there's more weight to making a post. You know, I need to really think about what is this going to be if I only have 100 of them, which I think speaks about how we feel about all the platforms that have no limits at all right we don't think at all about what we put on them um, because it's infinite and we'll just do another one or we'll just delete it and whatever and on minus even if you delete your post you don't get that back right so if you make a post and you're down to 92 and you delete it you're still at 92 you don't get one back
0: It's an interesting experiment to see if you produce a society that's different from Twitter. I know Twitter is a multiple society, but in these early days, what what are you feeling about what your constraints are producing in in humans?
1: So far, overall, I see something different emerging. I mean, for me, the, the, the grand experiment of this is to see if we inverse the central focus of every other platform what comes of it and so far what I think is coming of it is kind of in some ways more earnestness more playfulness more experimentation and a lot of the normal kinds of posts that somebody here hears there's a new social network and they make an account and they log on they make their first post and it Whenever that post looks like what we see all over the other social networks, like, hey, go check out my thing. It's here. Um, if there's not something else accompanying that, you know, to kind of like contextualize it and talk about it, if it's just um, advertisement, um, it people don't reply to it. it. It just kind of like drifts off the feed. So in some ways right now, I feel like constructing the the platform around less is creating a feed that isn't as accepting of some of these normal kinds, these normal, what we've come to think of as normal ways of interacting on social media. And some, I think a lot of people log in and they make their first post. and They never come back. They don't even try it anymore because it's not doing, it's not giving them those likes and, and some of the things they're, they're looking for. Other people have treated it really experimentally and come on. And like, we've had a few people who've just burn out their 100 posts as quickly as they can. Um, Some of them fairly, Poetically, some of them in in silly ways. This last week, we had someone come on and name themselves Elon Musk, and um, I don't think it was the the real Elon Musk, uh, partially because it was it was a grand kind of amazing satire on on who Elon Musk is in 100 posts as quickly as possible, <laughs> and he's gone or they're gone. I don't even know who you know. Part of what happened this week with minus was. Minus was kind of chugging along and it was feeling kind of like this interesting, weird experimental space. And then it, somebody posted it on Hacker News. And Hacker News is essentially like the Reddit for Silicon Valley. And so all the developers and kind of, you know that's where they all talk and post things. And it went viral there for a day. It was like number one on Hacker News for a day, which is pretty unusual. And so there's this massive influx of people like logging in and uh, creating accounts. They didn't really try to spend much time there. I mean a lot of them. They just came and they were critical, like, I don't like this, this is a terrible decision, this particular thing I don't agree with. And then a lot of them I think have just faded away very quickly. So it was like this kind of wave of attention that I think a few of them have stuck around who were actually interested in the idea. I, I don't I don't mean to characterize them all in the same way. I don't I don't really know how they all feel. I just know what it felt like, which is kind of this big shift in, in the platform that now people are talking about a week later on a platform i'm like what was that
0: what you do might be considered net art and so the invention of nfts is kind of something you should obviously uh, enjoy tremendously because it, it promises to to integrate what you do with the rest of the art world that's your response isn't it
1: Yes, um, no, that's not my response at all. One of the things I most love about net art and digital art is that I can imagine and create an aesthetic experience. In my case, it's often about the effects, the cultural effects of software, and I can hand a copy of that to anyone else anywhere, and they can have the almost identical, if not identical, aesthetic experience. And it can go out into the world for free, and it doesn't cost me any more. Um, to produce it than it did to produce one, and I feel like those conditions are part of what has led to some of what I think of as you know really great critical work within the net art and digital art communities. And then, as soon as the NFTs emerged, I saw a lot of things change in my world. Which a good example would be that a lot of the artists that i follow and whose work i've been interested in over time their feeds on on say twitter or instagram or whatever it was all of a sudden turned into advertisements for work on nft platforms and posts about upcoming auctions and imminent drops and like you know announcing every bid and and you would see some of these artists also even go in and erase their own websites from their, say their Twitter bios, and replace them with links to their page on crypto art platforms. And this drove me crazy (laughs) because uh, all of a sudden a lot of the criticality is going out the door and there's kind of this gold rush frenzy around just production of work, very little to do with what the art might have been. So I made a work um, kind of, you know, in, in live time as I was watching all this happen. And, you know, part of what they talk about with NFTs is the idea of tokenization. You know, the the, the non-fungible token is is the thing that gets, you know, sold. And it's, a, it's a, essentially a certificate of ownership for a piece of art, maybe online, like a JPEG that's sitting on a server somewhere.
0: The receipt, we sometimes say. Yeah,
1: <laughs> essentially. It made me think, well, what if I could make something that really is just absolutely resistant to this entire new economy. And so I made this work called Tokenize This, and it's a website at tokenizethis.link. And if you go to it, you are presented with your unique, what I call it, like your unique digital object. It is a, a banal kind of just gradient Custom gradient with, uh, with a with a code that's kind of embedded into it. Aesthetically, it's not a particularly interesting thing. But what what's notable about it is that the moment it is presented to you, and it comes with a custom URL, you know, it kind of loads at a custom page. That page will never be available for anyone else ever for the rest of time. Basically, the the object is destroyed the right after you. It's created for you. Any, any attempt to visit that URL in the future returns a 404 not found. The object is just gone forever. The conventional art market, which has paid almost no attention to most of the art that I focus on in the world. Um, um, very little net art or digital art in, in the conventional art world. I don't think they love the turn towards the digital in, in this space. they don't have any experience or expertise in it. They haven't cultivated that within their own ranks. and if we look at the people, for example, you know the 69 the, kind of the thing that, that, that really animated all this, the $69 million dollar JPEG you, you can like or not like people, but to, for that to be the pinnacle of digital art in terms of the market, um, I think is reflective of how much the market doesn't really understand. You know, is the market isn't about what's good art. The market is about what produces profit in in the market.
0: One of the questions that continually arises is how do we resist this? Like, what is the substance of the resistance? And I guess the work you make is the art of the resistance but for people who aren't making art the directions out of the jungle of social media platforms are not really apparent it doesn't seem possible to be a contemporary citizen without using them where are you leading us
1: a lot of people need to be on the platforms they've become the de facto communication methods for many of us i mean tell a journalist you just just get off twitter you know and most of them, well, that's part of my job. And a lot of people feel that social media is, is part of their employment, or maybe it's literally part of their employment. And it's also how they keep in touch with family and friends, and we don't have any other public infrastructure to replace it with. It's important to remember, we can't just exit, we need alternatives. And so part of what I'm interested in with my work is and what I try to do with it is first, to help us imagine alternatives. And I'd say that's minus is a great example of what if we really just turn this whole idea of, of more, more, more on its head and, and built in limits? Even though you know, I write the code and, and make that possible, I think the ideas behind the works can be enacted by anyone without the works themselves. I mean, Go Rando, you know, is this project that randomizes your reaction. Basically, when you click like on Facebook, it randomly selects haha, love, sad, angry, care, whatever for you. But you don't need go rando to randomly select a reaction. You know, there's no reason that just because Facebook asks, how are you feeling today, that you should say how you're feeling. You can be super experimental in these spaces and think about, well, if Facebook really wants this from me, what's something else I could give it that would have nothing to do with the thing it wants and would turn this into something that's more of what I want? That, of course, can sometimes make for a less direct environment, but it also draws attention to the fact that we are constantly reporting how we feel to these systems all the time, and it's important to think about who benefits from this exchange, you know, why is the system built the way it is? When it asks for a particular kind of data, when it makes you focus on, on the numbers rather than the content, what is that doing? How is it changing who we are and what we do and how we think? who most benefits and and who's made most vulnerable by this exchange.
0: Ben Grosser, there, and you can find more of his artwork on bengrosser.com. The exhibition software for less is at the Arbeid Gallery, London, until October 23rd. And finally this time on the Culturefile Weekly, the sounds of Irish Sierra Leonean composer and performer Fedda. Feder is home in Ireland after a season recording in Sierra Leone with a hard drive full of sounds for her forthcoming album of Afro futurist soul. Culturefile's Anya Gallagher talked home and away, present and future with Fedda ahead of her homecoming show at Project in Dublin tonight.
2: When I open my eyes
0: I just got back from
2: Sierra Leone I was there for the whole summer I was writing my album which I want to put out next year it was amazing my dad has a has a kind of a studio in his house which he used to record radio stations he's an environmentalist so it was great I had a really nice vocal booth and I, I worked with a couple of artists there as well if you spend all your money Freetown is very musical. Yeah, there's a lot of great artists there, and they have a very self-sufficient music scene. They they ju- listen to pretty much exclusively their own music, which is like really cool because there's so many artists there. I, I I know a lot of musicians there, and um, so it's really easy to to work with people. Now it's rainy season there during our summer, but it's still it's still fab. I got to go to the forest, uh, one of the forests that my dad has worked at for god almost two decades now and helped rehabilitate with animal life, and they've since set up a research centre, and we stayed there, and we saw, like, monkeys, and we saw snakes. I was like, OK, I'm ready to go. Like, OK, you need to get the hell out of here now. It's too much. find me up. My name is Heda. I'm a producer, songwriter, singer, player of a number of instruments. And I have a show coming up, uh, which will be my first show in Ireland in a million years. <laughs> it's a couple of years, anyway. Um, and uh, it's really exciting because I'm going to have a drummer playing with me. I usually play by myself um, with all of my gear. So my setup is a lot of fun. I have um, an Ape for any of the kind of music gear heads out there, um, an APC40, which is a really cool sampler, kind of based off the old style MPCs where you kind of smash buttons and you have these pre pre-recorded audio clips on them and you can kind of play around with them. That's kind of where sampling started. So I have a really cool version of of the old MPC, called an APC. And I get to, like, kind of live mix my songs. I have a load of cool, foreign effects that I get to play around with. And then I, I sing as well. So usually I kind of have a drum pad that I kind of play as well, and a guitar. I do not know if I can believe the things that you say. Musically, I'm trying to create a show that's a continuous kind of stream of sound without the usual. It's funny because I haven't been on stage for so long. I feel like the last thing I want to do when I'm on stage is talk. <laughs> so there's kind of a almost DJ set energy. I've created some, some interludes using samples. I've sampled my own music, blended songs together, so there's going to be some Mixing that maybe people will hopefully be into and surprised by. (laughs) I'm a proficient uh, percussion player. I I started playing some West African percussion instruments when I was in a band uh, years ago called Mandan Express. Um, And even before that, whenever I played with my siblings, not only would I sing, back and vocals, but we'd usually always play some kind of percussion instrument. But mainly I play guitar. Um, I'm not actually a very good piano player, but but guitar is uh, would be my main instrument, other than my laptop, of course. The guitar is so interesting because there's so many versions of playing the same chord. It's one of, maybe some people would say, one of the more complicated instruments in that there's, there's different arrangements of how you can uh, lay out a chord. Um, more than most other instruments. And I think the laptop is quite similar in that you can do the same thing in a million different ways. (laughs) The word Future Afro Soul has been attached to my music and I guess it makes sense because my way of writing music is very... um, Sci-fi esque. I mean, I'm using all of the digital uh, applications available to me. I'm very much a kid of that era where you, you can appreciate analog music. I used to grow up listening to soul and jazz, and I in jazz bands. And but in writing my own music, I was using completely modern technology. I barely have instruments in my songs. If I do, it's there's one in a lot of my songs anyway. So. I think that's where the, the name comes from and it does make sense. Um, I like to think of myself as an Afrofuturist in that I try to live in the space of having an African identity, which is kind of resting on the foundation of the amazing things about Africa that aren't always well appreciated. I hope that that comes through in my music, certainly in the lyrics that I write. I know my diction is very bad, so people probably don't understand what I talk about in my songs, but. Um, check the lyrics online. I, I am trying to give off that energy.
0: The Afro-futurism of FEDA there, and the reporter was Anya Gallagher. And that brings to a close this edition of the Culture File Weekly. We'll be back with more visionary hacks next Saturday, tea time. Till then, bye now.